Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Unstoppable Life with Werner Haywood. I have with me today Tambray Harris, and we are going to be speaking about having the courage to heal. Now, healing through your traumas, whatever you have gone through, it's not, it's not something to hold on to or to remain being a victim, but it's how we go about healing ourselves. So Tambra and I will be talking about that today. But first of all, before we go into anything, I would like to have Tambra tell you all about herself, because she's my guest, and I want to have be encouraged. Let me go ahead. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll start with the present day, and then I'll go back a little bit. Present day, I am the founder of an organization called Going Forward Survivors to Thrivers. And it's it was created for the very reason you just mentioned, you know, really trying to encourage individuals not to get stuck in survivor mode and really move into a thriving life. I lived many years in survivor mode. And, and so and I just once you find the freedom, once you find your voice and um, your, your, your passion for living, you want that for others. And so, so I was really encouraged to do that for, for anyone who has experienced abuse or trauma. Originally, my organization was focused on victims of sexual abuse, as well as yeah. domestic violence. Um, okay. What I have found is that my messages really resonate with many, many different types of, you know, experiences and abuse. But I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, which I know and have learned more about the fact that those of us that experience abuse as a child, we are more likely to be abused as adults. And we can talk yeah. a little bit more about that yeah. when we get into yeah. it. But I ended up marrying two different abusers. And it was a matter of I didn't value myself. I hadn't done my healing work. And I was susceptible to being treated badly. And so all the more reason for these kinds of conversations to help encourage others to, to do their healing work so that they don't get stuck in some of these unhealthy patterns that I know, that I know I did. Yeah, it's so important to have that healing process and so important to take yourself through. And I think sometimes we tend to think we don't want to look at what has happened. But I think in order to move forward, I like to use the analogy of a car. In order for you to move forward, you have to see what's coming behind you. In some cases, you have to reverse <laughs> before you could go forward and you have to slow down and just take, just reflect a bit and take yourself forward. Because I too was molested and sexually abused as a young person. And then as you say, we're more likely to be abused when we grow older, went into a marriage which was abusive and had to walk away from that so you know it's just really important that as you say again it's not too it's not too much to repeat that you need to 
uh, have these type of conversations because it's in these conversations people will hear and they will learn and they will grow and they will develop and transform. So it's all of this going to be coming together and it's also helped both sexes to understand the importance of each other, that we are a unit, we are meant to be side by side. No one is above the other. There is no one has dominion over the other person. We both have equal rights, equal human rights as God established from day one. So yeah, so I think this is a really healthy conversation for us to be having. And and just want us to I just want us to flow really authentically. How did you overcome not being a victim? Because a lot of us, not a lot of us, a lot of people like to go around, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. They can't get out of the victim mentality. So how would you say is the best way to get out of the victim mentality? Mm-hmm. When you use the car analogy, I thought about building on that. And I just, I was driving down the road last week and I hit a huge pothole. And a lot of times what that does is it then gets your car out of alignment. And so, you know, your car will pull in a certain direction and you have to pay attention to, oh, okay, things aren't right. And if I don't do something to get this adjusted, I'm going to keep going off and veering off. And so I think that your analogy is a nice one we can play with all along. Um, So when you ask me the question around, you know, what did I do? I actually, I had suppressed my memories. I, as a child, I think it was just easier for my body just to suppress the memories and forget. And I, there were things that would come up, but I didn't understand them. And so I just kept moving on with life. And so I hit my pothole <laughs> in a workshop. At, it was a workshop at work and it was around energy. And what happened was they were describing the effect of of negative energy on someone. And there was a a literal demonstration up in the front of the room. And as I watched it, I ended up having a panic attack. I had never had one before. And so processing, trying to keep it together in a work setting, but, but at the same time, recognizing my body was screaming loud at me that there is something you've got to pay attention to. And so it started for me, it's, it started with finding a therapist who could really help me. I don't know if you've done therapy or not, but there's something called somatic therapy. And that's where you really listen to your body. And so that was important to me to have somebody who could help me work through some of the, the body reactions that, and, that I had. And then also had to look through at what we call internal family systems. And that's kind of looking at the different dynamics that go on within you. Um, so like the little girl part of you, there's different parts of you. And so really kind of loving on her a little bit because she was, when I was growing up, that little girl was put in a corner and had to behave herself, dare not say a word and needed to make everybody happy. Um, And she's been doing that for, well, she did that for 40 years until I started doing this work. And, and so I think that, you know, part of it is really looking at that hurt part of us. And again, the trauma is one thing, but how we were treated amidst the trauma, I think is the other piece. And that was part of my issue was um, there was so much trauma happening in my family that nobody paid attention or noticed or whatever. So I had to work through even my disappointment in the lack of care and lack of um, presence 
from my family members. That was so I took the big step was really doing some of that to your point, look back work Mm -hmm. and, and say, okay, what do I need to understand? What's helpful to process? But then my therapist then told me, she said, Tambri, you know, you've looked into the dark long enough. It's time to look into the light. And I think that some of the things that you and I are wanting also people to do is to really begin to claim those beautiful parts of themselves that they may be pushing down. They may not Mm -hmm. be allowing to, to come up. And sometimes those are the limiting beliefs that we hold. And so mine was, I am not worthy. So therefore I'm going to marry abusers because I don't deserve to be treated any better. And so that was the second half of my healing, I would say is the look back Mm -hmm. was important, but then the look at where I am and what I want to claim for myself going forward. So that's kind of a long answer, but it's almost a kind of piece. (laughs) But it's a very, very good answer because I'm similar. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the program Unstoppable Resilience, Three Powerful Practices to Take Your Power Back. Because you have, you, you know, we relinquish our power for so long because one, we can't speak, we can't tell anyone anything. And you ask the question, did I have any therapy? Uh-huh. And my answer would be no. I did not go for therapy because coming from my background, <laughs> you don't go to therapies like in the first thing they think, are you crazy? <laughs> Is something wrong with you? So like you, nobody listened and nobody cared. Um, as far as I was concerned, I was concerned when I told them about it. It was like, shut up. It's like pushed under the carpet. Nobody should here nobody should know about it so you just have to keep silent and that silence means you don't say anything because we say anything and are you well you have a mental problem and having a mental problem means well are you going to be going to the psychiatric or what you know so you have to think carefully about what you did so for me I relied on the word of God That was my stronghold. That was my footing. That was the thing that kept me. So when I think of the love that you expect from the people who should love you and you was not getting that, going to Sunday school, I learned, you know, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tell me so. So that was my go-to song, <laughs> you know, and you build yourself up on that and then gradually you start using other scriptures to build yourself up. So it's like you said, when you think you're not worthy, I learned that I am worthy. So you had to really tell yourself you're worthy. But even though you were saying that, you still didn't really feel it that you were worthy. Still didn't think that anything good should happen to you because all these things has happened. And somewhere along the line, you blame yourself. So like you, I buried a lot of stuff. You buried as deep as you can. But it's when you start the healing, then they start surfacing bit by bit by bit. And then you're able to overcome it. But you have to look at it. There is a lesson in everything. There's a lesson in everything. And you just look at it to take the lesson that you need to take from it. And then you move on. And as you say, the little girl in you wants to come out, doesn't want to stay silent anymore, wants her voice to be heard. And this is what we are doing. We are getting people to hear our voices and be the voice for those who are still yet to find their voice. And I think that's the, that's the important thing. I think as we go forth, we are able to do that. And it's about strengthening. How, how did that strengthened you 
to be the woman you are today, you know, given all the setbacks you had and, you know, having your foundation and doing all of the things that you're doing. How did that play into everything? You know, that's a beautiful question. And and I think one thing I wanted to acknowledge, um, when you talked about the, the therapy piece and the, the judgment that, you know, might have come in the past and, and that's part of, so I think there's, and I don't know, you're in the in the UK, right? Yeah. And I'm in the US. Here, things are a little better as far as kind of destigmatizing mental health and emotional issues and things. And so, and I think that's part of what you and I are seeking to do on this topic is destigmatize and take away the shame of it. And I think that that yeah. gives us so much more power. So one answer to your your question is in finding my voice and naming my truth. That has given me some strength, not some. That has given me strength. And I think, you know, it is our truth. And our truth can be inconvenient to some people. And even to this day, I'm still cautious around saying my who because of who that person is in relation to my family. And so, you know, so I think sometimes we have, even as we claim our truth, we can do it in ways that don't rock the boat too, too much, but, but still it's my truth. And, And I have been very open. And so I will tell you though, one of the things that was absolutely beautiful. And when you were talking about your, your grounding as, as a child, I've always had connection to God and I, especially outside, there's something about being outdoors. And, and so that's always, I've always experienced God and invited God in at times I've probably been closer and farther away from God at different points of my life, but it was about 20 years ago. I was invited to be a part of a women's study group at my church. And it was like a four month study. And there was another study that was going on. It was going to be like an eight month study. And I said, well, the eight months is way too long. I was doing, I was working 50 plus hours a week and I had a little girl and I was just like, no, I can't do the eight weeks. I'll try the four weeks, four months rather, four months. And we're still meeting today. And this group, we did the deep spiritual growth and, and really and developing our relationship with God. What was really beautiful was I had joined this group before this awareness came. And this group, as these, because it started out as dreams for me, because I told you I'd suppressed a lot. And so it started out as yeah. dreams. And then as I was going through therapy, more memories came up. And a lot of this stuff, again, if you suppress it, I mean, it starts coming up and it sometimes can be a mismatch to the story that's been told. And so I had a hard time reconciling the two and these ladies held space for me. And I think part of it, and I think, you know, for all your listeners, just saying, find someone who can, who believes you, because so many times that's our fear is that somebody's going to tell us that we're making it up or, Mm -hmm. um, or we should again, keep it, keep it quiet. But these women I mean, they supported me, they believed in me, they believed everything that I was processing. And um, one really beautiful thing was we had this thing that we'd go around the circle and we would, as we opened our time together. And so I would say, Verna, I'm a beloved child of God, just like you. And then you would look at the next person and say the same thing. I could tell you that you were a beloved child of God. I didn't believe I was because of my unworthiness. 
And there was one woman in this group who wanted to just shake me until I would believe it. And I had to work through those layers. That was my work to do. And I mean, so you can kind of get it here, but it's really getting it in your heart. And so again, another long answer to your question, but a part of it was the, the patience to, and for the time to work through it and to have a loving, supportive community to foster that. And sadly, in my case, it's not my family. And so finding my chosen family, who can hold me and love me and help me come to my truth and find my voice and, and, and start allowing my light to shine. So yeah, that's kind of what helped me. Yeah, I think it's so important to have a community, you know, a community holds you together, a community. And when you have someone who can stand there and hold space for you, that is so important. And to, At times, we tend to think we have to stay in these relationships that are not working for us. We have to stay in this friendship that is not working. No, you don't. Because staying in that friendship or that relationship, you're dying dying inwardly, you're dying outwardly. You're just dying. You're perishing. All because you want to save face or because you want to belong. Again, that belonging, that wanting to be loved, there comes a time when you have to think, no, I need to step away and find, like you did, you found a group of women who 20 years ago and still meeting today, is still able to to be there for you. And I suppose if we can talk about that a little bit more for our listeners who are thinking, I can't move on or I can't leave this group, I have to stay here. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think sometimes, as we mentioned, as we grow, it almost can make others feel uncomfortable, but don't let them keep you in a box. And, and I have definitely, just over the past two weeks, I had some family trying to keep me in a box. I had to make a decision of, I know the rules of that group, and I kind of have to stay with that group because it is my family. But at the same time, I can be my much bigger, broader self outside. But if it's if it's friends, you know, one time I had a girlfriend and I don't know if you've heard this phrase or not, but she said, people come into our life for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, and that gave me permission to let go of some people yeah. that I might have tried to hold on to just because, well, we've been friends for X number of years. Yes, yeah. we have. And there may have been gift in that along the way. Um, but then there are other other people that, yeah, maybe it was just a season. And maybe it was a season where you were, again, a certain person. I was um, part of my coping mechanism was I was very buttoned up. I was very corporate, very kind of, you know, very professional. And that made me feel in control. And so if you were a friend of mine, again, 20 years ago, I would have been a much more formal kind of person. And then as I've grown, it's like, I don't need that anymore. I don't need that, that exterior. And so some of the people that I might've had a much more kind of formal buttoned up relationship with, that's not me anymore. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to be me and I'm going to, you know, be effusive and I'm going to be warm and I'm probably going to give you a hug. So I think you begin to, it's the more you become you, you kind of can see those individuals who Mm -hmm. are like, wow, 
that's wonderful. Or those people that say, hmm, that's uncomfortable for me. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question fully. But yes, you did. You did. You did. I mean, it's so important for them to, to hear that. And um, so, you know, someone would be listening and that will resonate with them or they needed to hear that. And I think it's so important. But also there is something else you mentioned as well. I think previously when we talk about shame, that's one of the reasons why, because you talk about when you're in work and you want to be this professional person. And we know that there are women and possibly men in jobs who have been abused and, and they will want to remain so professional that they don't want to, you don't want to let your guard down because you don't want to be hurt. But you want to have this power that you tower over everyone. But then again, you're not really helping the situation. What you're actually doing is covering it because you don't want anybody want to know. As you let go of that, you just find that release and that authenticity come forward and you become, it keep becoming whole and wholeness. So tell me a little bit about that. I thought authenticity came up for me as you were listening, as you were speaking really being able to be your authentic self. And so, again, as you think about those individuals in your life, can you be your authentic self with them? Can you be, and, and one of the things I love people doing exercises where they, they think about naming all the different parts of them. And so there's, you know, there's the nature part of me. There's the dancing part of me. There's, there's all these different parts. And, you know, first of all, recognizing them. And, and then also, and then what am I going to do to express that and really kind of embrace your whole self? Because, you know, we were talking earlier as children, you know, we had a very narrow box we had to be in, a very defined box. And, and so now as adults, we don't have to stay in that narrowly defined box. So, you know, a fun question is almost like, so what would your internal little girl want to do? You know, what, what would she like to do? And um, these women, I'll make you smile. These women, uh, my birthday was a couple of weeks ago. And when we celebrated, they, um, we had, I had shared earlier with them some of my sadness around the fact that my little girl, my internal little girl, when I was young, really didn't play. Things were just so heavy. I really didn't play. And so sometimes I don't even know what being playful looks like. And so, oh, they gave me bubble wands. They gave me coloring books. <laughs> to try and tap into that fun, you know? And, and, and so I think that's a, something for everybody to reflect on is what would, what would fun look like for me? What would honoring my whole self look like for me and am I doing stuff to to do that to be that that I would really I would love for everybody that, that's listening to really think about that and you know almost take it upon themselves to do a kind of a reflection activity yeah I, I think that is so so good only last night I was speaking to someone about loving ourselves and having fun with herself because she said to me I never love myself because she just seemed to go from relationship to relationship and being the giver all the time and not having anything returned to her. And I had to say, 
And you said something earlier, which reminded me of, you know, saying that to her, if you don't love yourself, no one will. If you're not worthy, if you don't think yourself worthy, no one will. And if you go with someone and you're ready to give up yourself, why should they stay? <laughs> why would they love you? Because you are easy, easy come, easy go. You have to take some pride in you and you have to think about, I am worthy, you know. I have something to give, but it cannot be just, can't just give it just like that. It's something to be respected. And I think that's the important thing is that respect, respecting ourselves and loving ourselves. So I like that funded. <clears throat> I like that they were able to give you those things. And you can see the fun because we, first and foremost, we are kids. As big as we are, we are kids. There is a fun part in us that we need to celebrate and, you know, I think about, and if we don't claim our whole selves, and I think that's part of the work that we have to do, I think, again, as, as survivors, we're so used to just kind of taking that one step ahead of the next one and kind of getting mm -hmm. through life versus embracing life. And so slowing down and really embracing life and embracing our whole selves. And you've got to do that so that when you have the other people come into your life, they can hold the whole of you. And exactly. I think that was part of my problem. I mentioned that I had been married two times previously and um, to abusers. And my first one was so bad that I got out real quick because it was, I mean, six months. It was just really bad. My second one, he was better, not as abusive, but I was kind of in a box when he met me and he, and he wanted to keep me in that box. And so as I started doing this work, I started getting out of the box and that was uncomfortable to him. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I would really encourage everyone to just, yeah, begin to embrace your whole self and have those people in your life that, that want to celebrate it and not contain it. And that was part mm -hmm. of my problem. He ended up having an affair and leaving, I think, because I had evolved and he wasn't, I didn't fit in his box yeah. anymore. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't. <clears throat> He couldn't hold your power back. <laughs> he couldn't take your power away from you. <laughs> Don't that. like anything powerful. <laughs> it, yeah, that's so true. So, so yeah. true. Don't, don't like anything powerful. Don't, they don't like when you have your own mind and when you can make decisions. The fact that you can make decisions means you have power. The fact that you can decide on what you want, there's no control. They cannot control you. So is that controlling aspect is dwindling away. Oh my gosh, so how am I going to put her back in that box? Gosh, she's too, you know, she's evolving. She's getting too big for me now, too big for her shoes. So one way or the other, they will try to tie me down. And this would lead me into the part where we talk about um, how many women are being abused and, mm -hmm. and being losing their lives to mm -hmm. sexual abuse. I mean, I read something today on LinkedIn. A friend sent it to me because, you know, this is what I, I aim to do, is to stop domestic abuse and, and, and violence against women and girls. But it's not just women and girls, because I met another lady yesterday who told me she would have never thought that the guy who was coming to fix her AC went through abuse by his partner, you know, and not until she told him what she was doing, 
Then he said, oh, can I tell you something? And then she sat for an hour listening to him and she would never think such a big guy is being abused by his wife who is much shorter. But sometimes we look at it as, you know, who is stronger and who is bigger, but it's, it's a lot more than that. So do you want to um, just let us go into that part of it? And, and bring up some statistics. Yeah, I actually, knowing that we were going to speak to that, I, I went and looked and the one that I saw today was one in three women will yeah. be, will experience you know, sexual abuse and, and rape. And when I read that statistic, I thought, well, A, I know I'm not in it. I, you know, I, I've never been asked. So I wonder how, if it's underreported. But then I also think about the, there's so many different types of abuse. And so, you know, this was citing the grave physical abuse. And like I said, in rape and that kind of thing, whereas mine was much more, although my first husband did rape me and I am grateful that we actually can now say that because back a few years ago, they would think the stance was no, I mean, I can't rape his wife. Well, they absolutely can. And so we've got that going on, but then, you know, you've got just the, 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 um, the mental uh, manipulation, yeah. the emotional abuse, the financial abuse. I mean, there's so many different layers. I don't know if you have mm -hmm. any statistics around that kind of abuse, mm -hmm. but I believe that it's, it's broader than or bigger than the one in three that I saw that stated the, the, the physical abuse that was happening. Yeah, it's much broader. Uh, I think that last statistics was between 2017, 2018. They haven't really, because they plan, you know, um, what we've been through have stemmed that down. Um, it's kind of disquieted, but it's more than we can think of. Um, so the percentage is a lot higher now. When you think about every hour, six women are being killed. When you think the age between 15 to 25, one in four young persons being sexually abused. So the statistics is much higher than we think of. And even when you think about young girls, uh, you know, um, young girls who are being molested, they can't, they don't have a voice. <laughs> so that's another form of abuse. Absolutely. You understand? And then what about those who are being sexually abused from age eight? I can talk about it because those things happen to me. And I know they are happening. When you see a, an elderly man in Afghanistan or Pakistan buying a, a child and telling you, well, I'm not going to touch her till she's a teenager. That's not true. You know, they start grooming you at an early age. You know, there is a, a whole litany of stuff out there that hasn't yet, like the World Health Organization, haven't yet compiled because there is just so much happening, you know? So we need, is by us voicing, is by us coming together and talking about it and, and being more vocal about it. I think somebody said to me some time ago, it's taboo to talk about it. Yes, I know it's taboo in some countries because of cultural differences, but that does not mean we should sit on it and not say anything. And it does not mean that we should just not every man is abusive. And again, it goes back to what they see in the home when they are growing up. So a lot of women tend to think, well, I'm going to stay for the children, but you're damaging the kids because they're mental. You have to think about their mental state, their mindset. 
So I, I suppose is how are we going to talk about that and how are we going to deal with, with that situation? You know, something that you've just said, um, there was a study done here in the States between, um, it was an insurance medical company called Kaiser Permanente and the Center for Disease Control. And they partnered to do this study and they had like 35,000 people in this study. And what they did was they asked about things that happened to them as children and they categorized them, these things that could have happened into 10 big trauma kinds of categories. And so your sexual abuse would be one of them, but food scarcity, do I know if I'm going to be fed today? Um, But also seeing your parents abused, physically abused, So there's 10 big categories. And then they ended up correlating these 10 categories. They call them adverse childhood experiences. They correlated them to health issues. And what they found was the more ACEs you had. So I could probably name two or three ACEs for myself. The more ACEs you have, the increased likelihood you have of cancer of heart disease, of depression, suicide rates. And so to your point, you know, it's, if you're, sta- if you're, if you're the one who's staying in the home and, and in this, this dynamic, you're keeping the children with these dynamics, you are creating physiological, not just mental, emotional, but physiological mm-hmm. um, challenge. And, and that's again, back to the why the courage to heal, why heal? Mm-hmm. Because this stuff's going to exist. I mean, it it exists. And so we have to do our healing work so that we don't pass it on. And my person was sexually abused as a child himself, and he didn't get to do the healing work. And so there's all these, for me, there's one of the things I've done in my past life is change management for organizations. And, And one of the principles around change management is you have to be unhappy enough with the current state to do something different. And I think part of what you and I are trying to do right here is to talk about the why, why take that healing step. And it's just, oh my goodness, we've, we've got to kind of um, create that, that change and encourage others to, to take those change steps for themselves and for those people around them that they could be impacting. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a, a great topic. And I think, you know, we don't have much time again. It deserve a part two. <laughs> ah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it deserves a part two because when you go through these type of abuse, as you said, you know, it's just not emotional, it's just not mental, but it also affects your physical, your social, your environmental, your financial, and your spiritual as well. So there is so many aspects of you that that is affected and working through that and working through them could really help you to heal. But you need to be around people like us or the group that Tamri spoke about, you know, a group of women. And that's the thing as well. I think we're going to probably end on this sisterhood. When we talk about the sisterhood, I don't know if women understand the meaning of sisterhood. We have all these networking groups and we have all these women groups. But do you think that we understand what collaborating is and what's uh, understanding what sisterhood means? And maybe that's a topic we can go into. Mm. 
I love that. And I think that it gets back to that authenticity we spoke of earlier. You, we have to find others who have that authenticity and that heart to hold safe space in around this topic. And and that was, and, and so what I'd love to mention is that, you know, one of the things we, when I created Survivors to Thrivers and the website survivorstothrivers.com, I wanted to encourage, I wanted to have encouraging pieces and begin to create community and, and I call it, you know, a thriver tribe, you know, so we're in this together and we're here to support one another. And so, you know, we seek to do that through blogs and through Instagram and Facebook posts. And also you and I spoke about Clubhouse and having Survivor Saturdays on Clubhouse. So yeah, trying to find ways to have those encouragers available to you too, when you don't feel so strong or you, or you have sister spirits that a sense of like you and I, we have not lived the same story, but we have a sense of each other's stories. And I think that's what happens when you begin to find this, this sisterhood that you're speaking of. Oh, I want to thank you, Tambri, for being here with me and so for our listeners to hear your story. Um, but it's more than a story. It's something that will bring healing. And I want to say to the listeners, when you listen, don't just listen with your ears. We want you to listen with your heart. Because when you listen with your heart, you're going to get everything. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we are speaking to you, we are speaking from our heart. We are speaking from the depths where things have happened and how we have grown out of it. And it's something that you keep processing constantly because there are things that still, either one of us might still have things that we haven't really thought about, but then it comes up and then that healing process carries on. So I want to thank everyone for listening to us. And I want to thank you, most importantly, Tamri, for being here. And I'll give you the last word with our guests. Well, it's been an honor to to just share um, and feel the sisterhood. It, it really is beautiful. And, and I guess I would just encourage, I would, I think so many survivors need to hear that you are worthy. You are worthy of that healing stuff. You are worthy of, of not just surviving, but thriving. And so that is my hope is that you will begin to, to think about what would that next step look like for you to, to step into your your healing journey. And if you are on it, then keep keep taking those steps. And uh, we're here to support you along the way. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time for our next sisterhood event. And we'll be talking to you on what sisterhood means and how we can create that atmosphere where we can be each other's helper. So we are each other's keeper. Take care now. <laughs>